Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Rebella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, what a week. A lot's happening on the American Shoreline, as usual, Tyler. And um, we're going to talk today about a subject that I think is coming into focus a little bit more. Definitely. Shoreline armoring. That's right. Big topic. Big topic. And uh, this show is all about the issues associated with armoring today. You know, we've been armoring the shoreline for a a long time. Yep. Uh, Going back to the Romans and Roman cement uh, and the kind of those brilliant fortifications that they built. Not Uh, a new idea. Not a new idea at all. But given uh, the move toward uh, green infrastructure, uh, what do they call it? Living shorelines. Uh, living shorelines. Um, there's a new emphasis placed on not armoring or trying to design with a nature. A little bit of a trend. Definitely so. And so today's show, we're going to talk about three examples of where the rubber is meeting the road yeah. on on this discussion. And I think it's super interesting. It is. It, it brings into focus... Uh, where we're at with climate change and sea level rise and how our governments of various uh, levels here yeah from local governments all the way up to state and the federal government yeah um, are work are moving forward new coastal policies and uh, practices that are now running headlong into our climate change planning and adaptation so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's show but before we get to it let's have a quick word from our sponsors the american shoreline podcast network and coastalnewstoday.com are brought to you by lja engineering with 28 offices along the gulf coast the folks at lja engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration coastal infrastructure rivers and channels numeric modeling disaster recovery and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical firsthand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. So, uh, yeah, so the big topic, are we ready for this climate change discussion and shoreline uh armoring questions and let's just set the stage and you guys stick with this show this is going to be really interesting and i think a perspective you haven't heard yet uh but we're talking here about the as you said there's a trend toward living shorelines happening right now marshes that you see it in core planning all over the place in the uh and the galveston to sabine uh study you see it in different parts of the country in federal planning we need more oyster reefs we want more marshes you see it in, in louisiana and the delta 
Right. And at the same, and then, you know, back in time, we go back to the 70s, North Carolina prohibits hard structures on the sandy beaches. Texas does. Other states have tried to restrict it. Um, California. This, yeah. We sh- I should point out that the science has been done. And whenever we go to ASBPA and we watch uh, these presentations with where they're mapping the sediment flows and where you put a structure, a hard structure on a beach creates a whole host of reactions and chain reactions um, that usually expedite, I think it's kind of a general rule that when you armor it, you expedite the erosive uh, trends. On the downdrift side, typically, I mean, there's two, you're right. So generally it's not helpful. I mean, if if you put a big jetty out, the updrift side of the place where the sand is flowing toward the jetty, it'll stack up and the beach will get wider on that side. It denies sediment to the downdrift side, and those shorelines erode. This offset is quite common, and you see a lot of ASBPA, you know, Shore Beach Magazine pictures of offset inlets all over Florida and everywhere else. And then the reverber, the react, the refraction of waves against the hard structure. If it's a shore parallel hard structure like a seawall, the waves hit it, bounce off, take the sand off the beach. You lose the beach. Yeah, right. Every time you go to ASBPA, there's somebody else with a presentation saying hard structures cause erosion to the beach. And it's true. The science has been done. The science has been done. And uh, the policymakers have heard. And yeah. uh, so for the past several years, the scientists were telling the policymakers, hey, look, uh, all of this hardened stuff, while it does uh, m- maybe... Yeah, protects protect, the upland. Yes, the upland. It comes at a cost, and we what we ought to be doing is try, aiming for living shorelines. And we were kind of in this hybridization zone, Still kind of I like think. a Prius. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of muscle. It's got a little bit of gas and a little bit of electric. Right. We're going to keep some of these old yeah, technologies that work and are tried and true. Right. But we're going to introduce into the same structure the same. Uh, car in the case of the Prius, uh, this new technology that has uh, benefits, maybe habitat benefits in the case of a living shoreline, um, but also uh, maintains good shore protection qualities. So after Sandy, uh, we saw a lot of beaches being built, just really massive beaches and dunes, beaches and dunes, which are, uh, I'm not going to call that a form of armament because it's a, it's a soft structure would not be called, would not be called uh, armament. Right. It's, this is green infrastructure. Should we start off by defining what we're going to call? Okay. So let's see. So when we're talking about armament in this deal, we're talking about concrete, um, barriers, storm surge. Well, I guess it's concrete barriers. It could be gates, but the point is it's a hard structure that's going to prevent the storm surge from reaching the, uh, the land. And, right. and, and so it's, it's a wall. It's a hardened barrier. Wall with holes in it, walls without holes in it, walls with a shape that's concave, but it doesn't matter. It's a wall, it's a barrier, it's a hard structure. It could thing. be a pile of rocks could be that a pi- you could stack be a up on rocks. the side of the beach. Absolutely. But- uh, the notion is that it's hard, and when the waves hit it, they bounce off, right. and therefore protect the yeah. upland, the landward side. Yeah. Um, and for those of us that care about the beach uh, and are interested in managing shorelines in a way where they're able to thrive and meet the huge demands that uh, people have for beaches. Yeah. Um, they can become problematic certainly at some points and and right now for sure. So we've 
we've pulled out three case studies here we that, are, that are happening right now. Yeah, so I think what's interesting about doing this is, again, what are the benefits of Coastal News today and digging through the news and p- putting that out to our readers and listeners every day is you start to see these bigger pictures start to form. And I think we've formed one, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, let's talk about the first example. And, and we're trying to stitch these together. They're very different. Uh, Tyler and I sort of came to these independently, and we're sort of going to blend together these projects. The first big news of the last, I would say, week or Huge so. Huge news. Huge news was the Corps of Engineers decision uh, announced last week, and this is, I'm going to give you the full title, that suspended what is called the New York and New Jersey Harbor and Tributaries Focus Area Feasibility Study. It's called HATS for short. How's that? That is a mouthful. That's a mouthful. So basically, we all remember Hurricane Sandy pounded the northeast part of the shoreline Storm surge of 10, 11 feet, flooded Manhattan, destroyed beaches and communities all along the upper northeast part of the United States. Well, after that happened, Congress said, well, that's BS. We don't want that to happen again. Corps of Engineers, here's a big bunch of money. Figure out how to protect these communities. And what they did is they started this feasibility study. It's called the HATS study. But basically, it's New York and New Jersey area, Manhattan uh, Norfolk, Virginia, I mean, uh, Newark, New Jersey, that kind of area, and the New Jersey shoreline. Right. And they are in the middle of this damn thing. And we have been following it for the past year. Yeah, it's I know been going that this, on for years. This, it's been going on for years, um, but it was really starting to get uh, to the point where I believe they had some pr- uh, proposals out specific, in public. Yeah, specific proposals had been made. They, they reached the interim report stage of the feasibility study. And so from my brother, John Ravel, and all the folks out there who don't follow coastal stuff, John, when the Corps is going to spend a boatload of money to build something, they have to do these feasibility studies first. And what happens is they, they come up with a set of alternatives and they pick the best one. They throw it on the street, let the public beat and pound on it, finalize this thing and give it to the chief of engineers that's the head civil works guy at the corps of engineers and he writes the official report to congress and says this is what we want to build it's going to cost you 25 billion dollars do you want to buy it that's right so the feasibility study is in the middle of that process and what happened was the corps just pulled the plug on the entire new york new jersey harbor and tributary study and leaving these areas completely as they are saying locally, vulnerable now because they've abandoned this. And there's some politics and there's something going on. There's Trump, something fishy going well, on. Well, this is the case where Trump was tweeting about this study. Believe it or not, the president of the United States was tweeting about, t- tweeting about a federal feasibility study for the city of New York and saying, what a waste of money this is. And he famously said, get your buckets and mops ready. We're, 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 this, is, this is a foolish thing to try to do. Right. Well, and it, if you can detect some the element of surprise on Peter's voice, it's because yeah. this, I think that everyone in the country expected the New York plan, the New York shore protection plan to be one of America's, one of the United States' biggest, proudest, m- most expensive mm-hmm. Uh, armoring project because it's damn New York, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, mm-hmm. and it's just intuitive. This is normally the way we manage those spaces. Um, we've we've been following not to 
to, to uh, cross pollinate too much, but we've done a couple shows uh, highlighting the project on the Houston Ship Channel and Galveston. Yeah. It's Similar. the same process. They're they're going through the same thing now. That that project continues on. Yeah, the New York one got canned. Right, which and is awfully interesting and and. But but why don't we talk a little well, bit about the circumstances that led to that? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. You said surprise. Yes. The surprise in my voice. One hundred percent. Here's some stats on Hurricane Sandy. Like, why do you yeah. think we would try to do something about the problem that Hurricane Sandy uh, illustrated? It killed one hundred and seventeen people, uh, 53 in New York and 35 of those in New Jersey. So there was actual you know death. It damaged or destroyed 346,000 homes in that region. A, a city worth of structures. It That's caused right. $73 billion, with a B, dollars in damages in that part of the world. So the core, of course, in Congress are saying, we've got to see if we can do better here. Let's come up with some things. And some of the strategies are living shoreline elements. That's right. Um, wetlands and marsh improvements and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, what's what's fascinating about this part of the world, and I'll tell you, uh, you don't really realize just how geologically uh, complex the New York area is. There's, But there's a reason why the Dutch chose to put their big uh, trading post there. Yeah. It, it great ha- it's a great deep water port. The the Hudson comes out. You've got this the island of Manhattan right there, which was obviously a great place to to set up shop. Uh, but if you look, just g- pull up a Google map image of the region. It is a complex zone. Long Island jetting out. Yeah. Um, you've got this bay side, and then you've got a whole bunch of rivers, tributaries, as the plan makes reference to the study. Yeah. Um, and so, and and existing stuff. It's right. not as though we're going in with a zero here. There's yeah. already levees built. There's already seawalls built. There's and so when you're trying to manage this from a feasible from a from an engineering master plan perspective, um, and it's also New York, so you're not. You, it's just failure is kind of not an option here. Retreat yeah. is not an yeah. option. There you go. So we we are definitely looking at armament uh, to protect. At least we thought. Well, and yeah. I, I still think we'll get to that. I, th- I think we'll probably get there. But the the what we were debating for the past year was how much armament and how to kind of mitigate the consequences of using as much armament as All right. as we would need. <clears throat> so let me dive in one level set. So this is, you're right, exactly. that It's hard to think of retreating from the island of Manhattan. I mean, there are some places where we're just going to fight the rise of sea level and try to, because of the value and the impracticability of, of and I think this is probably a case where that's true. So the Corps was in the middle of studying this thing. They had come up with six options, and they were all gate structures. They were all wall-hard structures, principally. The cost of the ra- the range of options the Corps was looking at was $32 billion, up to $119 billion in cost. They considered, in one option, building a six-mile-long wall across portions of it offshore to try to protect us to prevent the surge from entering this complex bay system and flooding these densely populated shorelines and there were then lots of smaller variations of river uh, gating and different kinds of bay gate systems and all sorts of stuff at hard structures 119 billion max cost estimate at this stage of the study 
Remember, the storm caused $78 billion in damages. So you're thinking, well, maybe it's worth it. We'll see. But the, there was some... It was not a simple thing. The environmental community was not particularly happy with this set of options. Uh, they thought that the impact on the river and the and the river systems and the bay system health for the Hudson River, the Passaic River, the Hackasanic, Raritan Bay, all of these bay systems, they were like, wait a minute, this is this is going to be bad environmentally. The city of New York's comptroller, uh, Scott Stringer is his name, had been participating, of course, in keeping track of what was going on in the core study uh, over the last couple of years. And he wasn't particularly happy with the options. He, he was saying that, 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 that this thing is penny found. It's, it's penny, penny wise, pound foolish. These options are detrimental. He had real concerns. The study finally gets canceled. Trump intervenes, they think. The study disappears, as you said, which is unusual. And now the comptroller, uh, Scott Stringer, has publicly stated that the federal government decision to abandon the Army Corps' storm surge study is reckless and exposes the region to the ravages of the next superstorm. So this is, a, this is what I think is what we're talking about today right here, is this complexity and the conflict between the environmental community that wants climate change considered and acted upon and then is struggling with the options and boy, what are we going to do? Yeah. And also how decision-making bodies at different levels of government set uh, a policy standard or, a, you know, a, a preference and uh, have this negotiation about how much armament to use and where to use it and how to mitigate it. But ultimately... Um, when you you know we're going to be using armament, I think is is I think an important point here is that the city of New York will be armored. I mean, we're not going to retreat away from it, um, but the decisions of where those yeah. lines are are so damn political, and I, I think that's and Peter, how much should you spend, how to do it. I mean, I, do you think eventually it gets armored? hundred percent I do too I'm gonna to bet on that I think this decision gets reversed at some point well the pl- the study will must be continued I mean even if the city of New York and the state and New Jersey just started on their own I mean um, the the federal government certainly historically would be involved the Army Corps of Engineers would historically be involved on a project of this magnitude and national importance but um, what we had been tracking for the past year on Coastal News Today are the flare-ups, the very normal and expected flare-ups that would occur when you decide, when, when you're like, hey, where should we put this levee? Is it going to be yeah. over here on this location or yeah. is it going to be on this other location? Yeah. And people who are on different sides of that line get uh, that impacts them. That that has real yeah, impact yeah, for yeah. their property values, for their insurance rates, for their lives. Right. And so they speak up and they come to the table yeah. in those moments. But it's it's really a, it it highlights the governing challenges of trying to do this in a way that is uh, in a in alignment with the poli- with the uh, science and the kind of policy best practices that we learn about at ASBPA and all the places with the actual governing politics of you're going to leave us out in the 
you know, to be ravaged by the next storm. Yeah. Uh, it's really a yeah. tough situation. Well, it might be that what happened here, you could be right, that the because there was a vocal opposition and serious questions raised. And I would like all of these proposals. There was also a lot of strong supporters, probably, to protect the infrastructure and the port and harbor and all of this, the value of what is at risk by another hurricane or superstorm Sandy. But there was, did the Corps get so far out of touch with politics? Did they really misread the community? Did they they not include options that were acceptable in the community? Was this a breakdown in, in the community collaboration process? Is this driven by the politics between the president and the city, uh, I don't know. But it's incredibly unusual, given the risk here and the value of the area, to pull the plug entirely on this study. I think that is noteworthy along the shoreline. And, and say one conclusion you could draw, and I don't know if this is the fair conclusion, maybe this notion of armoring, armoring is being called into question by the Corps of Engineers. Well, or maybe. at least the administration. Maybe. And and we're going to get to uh, so another example about, yeah. down the road. Well, let's talk about let's talk about California. And let's do that. Let's talk about the policies, because you came up with this really good example of this discussion. We're going to shift now from New York and the in the uh, end of the New York and New Jersey study to Orange County, California, Tyler, out near neck of the woods on the West Coast. And tell us about what just happened out on the West Coast with regard to armoring. Well, uh, just uh, about 10 days ago, uh, the California Coastal Commission denied a permit um, from Orange County, the county of Orange in Southern California, uh, to beef up an armament uh, in, at, the, at the base of the bluff of the Niguel Shores community. And that's in Dana, the city of Dana Point. And... Uh, it's it's a fascinating situation. So let me let me kind yeah, of walk out. through the lay story. Um, but Niguel Shores uh, sits atop this bluff. It's a beautiful neighborhood with very valuable multi million dollar homes that were built back in the the sixties. Is what mm-hmm. my research shows. And um, underneath it, there's a just world renowned beach called the Strand Strands. And uh, if you Google up strands, you're going to find surf videos going back to the 60s, like the Beach Boys were hanging out there, okay? It's that kind of spot. Iconic Southern California, Surfer Beach. We're south of L.A., right? South of L.A., right. So um, Orange County area um, where the late, great Kobe Bryant kind of used to live, uh, that zone. And um, basically what has happened there is uh, these bluff beaches, these bluffs, become unstable and they fall down and uh, yeah and let's 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 do a little side note on that sure about how big of an issue that is yeah the recent collapse of a bluff it wasn't on this specific shoreline tell us about that this was out in california probably a couple months ago right so uh just this last summer uh, uh i believe one or two people were killed in san diego um, at a state beach where they were, they had their you know towel set up at the base of a bluff, and um, with no cause, there wasn't an earthquake or anything. It just collapsed and fell on them yeah. and uh, caused death and serious injury. Um, there was another uh, case similar to that uh, 
at another beat, you know, elsewhere in California. So this has happened twice over the past year. Um, and in both cases, uh, the emergency permits were sought to armor the bluff. And um, this is we're going to get into this in a minute. But uh, these these were two major events that weigh heavily on the minds of managers of these beaches because they want to yeah. keep people safe as always. And yeah. um, but really at issue here is the fact that you have a, a, an eroding beach with a very finite amount of space because it's up against the ocean on one side and this cliff on the other. And then on the top of the cliff is how residences and um, the uh, homeowners association along with the city, along with the County put together a plan uh, to beef up the armament. There is currently a rip wrap rock, uh, construction that's there to kind of uh, buffer the wave action against this cliff face. Right. So, so let me see if I understand it. Right. So, at the this is a cliff, probably fifty or feet or higher, maybe a hundred feet tall. Houses up on the edge. Very popular recreational beach down at the bottom. A, a structure that was put in years ago, but basically piles of rocks to try to keep the waves from chewing away at the bottom and causing an overhang in the collapse. Very dangerous. People are dying in this. Stuff. Right. And uh, along comes the county to say Orange County on behalf of the homeowners. They have this obligation under the special agreement. We won't go into the details, but it's the county is the applicant is going to beef up the armoring structure at the base of the bluff. Right. And. The California Coastal Commission is the decider here, and everybody who's in coastal management is probably familiar with them. They're a very powerful coastal management agency in the U.S., and many consider a model right. of good governance. And uh, the staff, well, it's, well there's, it's, <laughs> let's just say there's, there's, models there's, there's, there's strong opinions on both sides of that. I should, you're right. There it's, are. Yeah, there's people who absolutely think they're horrible. Yeah, but 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 you get to so I'm going to turn it back over. But the the thing is, it, the California Coastal Commission staff evaluates the application from the county and recommends that the beefed up seawall or whatever this thing is called bluff protection structure gets built. Right. That's right. And okay. this is this is this has been in the works for years now, um, going back to 2012. Uh, the county put forward a plan that was rejected by the commission. And the commission gave very specific recommendations um, that they wanted to see in a new plan. Um, and the the previous plan called for, uh, again, a beefier, bigger. We're, what we're talking about here are bigger boulders at the base. Um, and the commission said, hey, you're going to eat up too much of the beach because this is going to jet out 15 feet further uh, shoreward. Onto the beach. Onto yeah. the beach. So you're going to lose 15 uh, feet of whatever you call that beach distance. Yeah. The and, beach, but the public beach area. Right. How big are these rocks? Like you told me, it's like they're, it's tens, a good question. They, they're thousands. Of well, pounds. so the current, the current rocks are, I'm not good with the weight of rocks, but, and, and if the, on the commission report, they, they do discuss them in terms of weight. But, um, the, if you look at photographs now, they're probably about, Oh, three feet in diameter okay and they're moving up to five six i mean these are much larger big 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 boulders is what was proposed right so to, just to quickly bring us up through this meeting that happened about 10 days ago uh they had the the staff agreed the county put put forward the report 
the staff from the commission said, hey, this meets our uh, what we asked them to do. Right. Puts uh, it on the agenda for the California Coastal Commission. This should, this should have been a rubber stamp approval. With staff approval uh, to get a what's called a coastal development permit is Correct. what they're asking for. That's exactly right. So drum roll, please. So here comes the hearing where and was this held down in dana point was it where where was the hearing i don't believe held? it was down in southern california i, be, I want to believe it, i want to say it was in uh, orange county okay um but i do not know the i don't believe it was in dana point proper right okay uh, the commission holds its meetings uh in different parts of uh, the california shoreline to allow folks to have access you know okay um so but, what happened what who you know so, okay like give us a lowdown so, so we're at the hearing drum roll is drum roll that the commission unanimously uh, rejects this permit. Wow. And um, this is all after the presentations, the polished photographs, the renderings. But then these 10 uh, high school seniors got up and spoke. And the surf rider, uh, Mandy Sackett from the surf rider, got up and spoke. And they talked about how important this beach was to them, how important it was to their identity they talked about their stressful lives yeah. and what the beach means to <clears throat> their lifestyle and how they use it for recreation and, and wellness and and uh health yeah and uh all the things that beaches do for people all the all some of some of the important things that that yeah. these beaches do and it really resonated with the commission to the point where they unanimously rejected this. Okay. And that's where we stand. Okay. Let me ask this because you're saying that the coastal count, the, the California coastal commission staff had recommended that the wall be improved because the, the, the bluffs above were unstable and it needed greater protection. It goes through, the whole process of developing the strategy from the applicant, which is Orange County, it goes through months, if not years, of analysis by the Coastal Commission staff. It is set for an agenda, and they take testimony. And this is, I think, is unusual, although I, I don't swear to it because I don't really know the history of the California Coastal Commission. I don't. And so, but to overrule a staff recommendation in the agencies that I worked in would, was kind of a big deal. Huge deal. I mean, you you think <laughs> it's a you surprising. think it, it was it has been years, and um, this let's let's get down to brass tacks. This is a here you have the same dilemma. Now let's talk about what the Coastal Commission has been telling us. This is a body that is trying to manage the California coastline in a way that is ecologically and environmentally and recreationally um, fair. It's clear that they put a great deal of emphasis on those areas. They're less inclined to issue an armoring permit. Um, They do it, uh, but they're less inclined to do that. We've we've ran a whole bunch of stories on Coastal News Today showing the commission's uh, and and you know California communities in general, the trend is to move toward um, just a, a more environmentally responsible way of of managing sea level. But at the at the same time, the other thing that they've been doing is they've been real upfront about, hey, listen, we gotta we gotta start calculating sea level rise uh, into our um, design criteria for our right. permits because you know we we can't be permitting stuff that's going to be uh, 
hazardous or dangerous or no longer viable right. in the in you know a matter of time. Okay, so, so the, yeah, go ahead. Well, here's the here's the, the the trend lines that you're laying out, which I think are exactly coming into conflict now. This is true in the New York New Jersey case with the Corps of Engineers. It's also true here. I think there is a push all over the world, and certainly in let's say the environmental community but to focus more attention on what's happening with sea level rise. This is real. You know, you hear the advocates are strong. City of Miami, countries, all uh, cities and counties all over the coastal America are developing shoreline resiliency strategies. Hey, we got to deal with climate change. And what that means is we've got to protect this, this property. Now, there is a push, in other words, that's driving us into a discussion of armoring in a way that is actually more motivated than in the past. And what I think is interesting is in two cases here, we're comparing New York, New Jersey and the federal government's decision making to back away from an armoring solution on the most expensive real estate in America. Well, yep. people in San Francisco might argue with that, but New York, New Jersey, and Lower Manhattan <laughs> no doubt. is pretty spendy territory. Um, and then we see the California Coastal Commission on a recreational beach with million-dollar homes in, uh, um, on the bluff. Same outcome. Wait a minute. More armoring? No, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait, let's, let's not. So a couple of big pauses in cases where I think in the past, you know, if we go back 30 years or something, this was not that big of a deal um i think these would have gone through i don't know what do you think what's where are we in the conversation what i think is that by there's an uh, there's a bit of an irony here and i'm not saying that we're going backwards at all uh, i want to be very clear but there's yeah. an irony in that when the managers say look we got to be we're looking at the science we're looking at the data we got to be follow the best practices that what it leads to are bigger rocks bigger armament right more armament which is which also it's an flies, arms it's an arms race it's it turns into an arms race and uh bigger projects because uh when you armor we also know we need to have living shorelines that means we need to mitigate more uh, a project isn't just the wall, it's the wall plus the mitigation, which in the case of like New York, or when we talked to the port director of San Francisco, who's mm. responsible for the entire San Francisco shoreline, yeah, the that, that's going to mean building a much larger wall, mm -hmm. but she wants to mitigate that by building a big marsh and kind of wetland system yeah. in out into the bay. Right. Well, the, <laughs> Well, these are yeah. these these are engineering projects on a scale on the American shoreline like we've never seen ever before. Well, I, I think not recently. I mean, you can go back to the Galveston Seawall in nineteen after the nineteen hundred hurricane and see big stuff. But we haven't. It's been a while since we've talked about this kind of projects of this scale. I think you're quite right. Um, and certainly the most money ever spent, I think, these billion, $119 billion for the core's top end option in the New York, New Jersey hat study is, God, that's a lot of, that's a lot of dough. And in the uh, Sabine de Galveston study in, in, in the Houston Bay petrochemical complex, that project cost is somewhere around 20 to 30 billion, also involves gates. Um, and just, so, just so you're like saying we're. Well, go ahead. Well, just like with, you know, we're, we're making a comparison. Yeah. But as the Corps stepped away from the New York project, the commission, the, the commissioners, the, the com stepped away from their own staff's right. recommendation. And they, they said, hey, we're not cool with this bigger, bigger, bigger trend, even though 
Okay. By many, you know, by setting a standard where they want to design to uh, these sea level rise projections, they've they've kind of set it up where hmm. this is going to be what they're going to see. Okay. And so, to me, what it shows is an evolution in um, our understanding of. of of the state of the art of the practice of issuing these permits. Um, It's clear that we can't, you know, it's, it's ultimately going bigger, bigger, bigger with the armament is not sustainable. We've talked about that. It's not going to be automatic. It's uh, clearly here's two examples. Go ahead. There's a third one. Oh yes. And let's Let's do the third one. Let's drop the third one and then, then talk about the implications of it because I'm wondering here as you're, describing what you, what the trend is here is the message out to the engineering community hey folks the design uh, options that you're coming up with are not acceptable you can't go hard structure all the time we're not comfortable you've got to start thinking more creatively and you've yes we want you to deal with climate change and sea level rise but you better start thinking differently is that i mean that's that's drawing is that the message you could say that's the message to the coastal engineering community here i think that that is the message that well, that that could the, be. the people that are going to be writing the checks and the people who are setting the policy at the higher levels right are sending signals down to the yeah. uh, engineering and policy design folks right now yeah saying hey we want to go into a separate lane and let's take another trip to the yeah to the southeast okay and talk so about this it. is this is one more example this is also in the last 10 days this is a uh, another core of engineers decision making process going on in the florida keys in monroe county so everybody knows where the florida keys is if you haven't been there it's really awesome you know you drive down us1 and hopscotch from tiny island to tiny island all the way down to Key West, and it's the cool place to hang out. So uh, this was another area that was devastated by hurricanes recently. And again, Congress says to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, hey, folks, that looks kind of serious down there in Miami-Dade and all the way down to the Keys. Why don't y'all come up with some ideas on how to protect this Florida Key area? from storm surge. And so the Corps of Engineers inter, uh, undertakes what's called the Florida Keys. Here's the title, the Florida Keys Coastal Storm Risk Management Feasibility Study. Another feasibility study. What do you study. know? And uh, this is the Norfolk District of the Corps of Engineers, Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, the New York, New Jersey uh, study was, of course, the New York District of the Corps of Engineers. So we're in another core district and we're in another federal program. And again, the Corps is trying to get to that chief of engineers report. What is going to be the recommended strategy to protect the Florida Keys? And what, how, what are we going to ask Congress to fund, to build, for, to, to, do, right. to do the job they've asked us to do? That's right. All right, so we're in the tentative selection of alternatives part of the study. This is, in other words, what are the options the Corps is dealing with? And here's what was stunning. This report was given, and we posted it on Coastal News today. Uh, if you if you want, look at it, because we actually linked to the Corps of Engineers PowerPoint presentation that they gave to the community. Which is really good. Which is a really good, I got to say, really easy thing to understand so you can follow this conversation along. But... Here's the summary. It's a serious sea level rise situation. There's a map with the sea level rise risks, and there's a a sea level rise curve. All of the coastal people and planners out there know what those things look like, but it's going up. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. And the next slide after, here's the risk that we see, and it's real to the Florida Keys. Here are the the next slide in the 
in the in the DAC is called structural measure screening and it says here are the things we've eliminated from consideration in this study going forward here's the stuff we're not going to evaluate anymore number one breakwaters number two canal improvements number three seawalls number four flood walls number five levees uh number six small scale ring laws ring walls number seven storm surge barriers and number eight Beachville and Dunes. Here are the solutions we do not think can be executed. Just listed basically all of the solutions all of the, <laughs> for structure. These are all the engineered structures that exist. They, they're like, we can't protect the Florida Keys with structures. And we can't do Beachville either because there's, as they say, this is the phrase, it is extremely high cost due to the distant sand sources. They say 76 dollars per cubic yard of sand which and, is and insane. beach fill means the same thing as beach renourishment or beach nourishment for right for all those folks out there who might not be coastal yeah engineers. so here we have another federal decision maker facing increasing sea level rise been the public demand for public safety they do the initial study it's not finished here by the way but when they take options off the table that's a big deal that means they are not going to be in the final list of options choices offered to the chief of engineers or to congress and like you say no this is structures. the army corps of engineers this is the army corps of engineers so what do they say they should do here's what they say they're going to go into man oh man the I black know. sheep this guy i don't know who's leading this thing who's <laughs> leading this thing here's what they're carrying forward elevation of structures flood proofing of homes buying out and acquiring properties Coming up with better warning systems, more emergency plannings to get your asses out of the Florida Keys when the storm's coming, and land use planning. In other words, we're talking about retreat, either vertical, because the structures need to go up, or they need to get off the island. And the thing is, there's already 67 structures that have been identified for purchase. Basically, the Corps is recommending that they spend $3 billion buying houses out and taking them away and floodproofing others that need to stay. I mean, again, a non-structural solution from the Corps of Engineers. Just to put this in context, you guys, uh, this is the interim feasibility study step. It, uh, they're going to come out with the final feasibility study and the integrated environmental impact statement. There's a whole bunch of bureaucratic processes in this decision making. That's going to go into 2021. But the fact that they stood in front of the public in Monroe County in the Florida Keys and said, folks, we can't do anything to help you. You need to get the hell out of here or move, raise your structure, to me, is another monumental example of structures being called into question. No doubt. And it's just, it's first of all, the, the source. It's one thing when the California Coastal Commission says we're not going to allow it. But when the Army Corps of Engineers uh, comes out and says we are only going to be focusing on what effectively are governance uh, solutions. These are yeah. uh, and, and I, you know, we're talking about land use buyouts, as you said, Peter, perfectly. It's all about retreat of one form or another. Um and I, I, I go back to that New York uh, comment that you made about the New York, New Jersey Harbor and Tributaries uh, Focus Area Feasibility <laughs> Study. Love the name. That's of so stuff. intuitive. I know, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you said, hey, what's the breakdown here? Why did this collapse? Yeah, why and did it one collapse? one of the things that you 
pointed out is the community engagement part and maybe what's striking about that yeah what they're doing in the keys it's not is because they're not building anything they're going to have a very different community discussion they are and i am so interested to learn yeah. more because they're not, they don't have to talk about where's the sand going to go or where's the levee going to be or where's the wall going to be right that's not what they're going to be talking about they're no. going to be talking more about it as a community how are we going to do this resilience thing where we can continue to be here in some capacity do we go up when the storm comes, we got to get out. Yeah. It's going to be a, just a very different type of discussion. It's not going to be yeah. life as usual no matter what. Right. Like we're going to build this big fortress and life, everything on this side of the wall is is groovy. It's not going to be like that. No. And I, to me, this again suggests an, an evolution in... Yeah, the way that we're happening. talking about coastal management, something's happening, and, and it's and and it's a little hard to piece together. You know, we can sort of uh, surmise from these examples, but um, think about the public. Uh, that's a great thing to compare the public reaction to these two things. Here, I can tell you, the Corps' decision to not armor in the Keys is probably not going to be popular with a lot of the homeowners down there who have to sell their homes, abandon their homes, or expensively adapt them to increasing sea level. I would think that the public pressure there, kind of being around Florida homeowner people, is going to be, damn, what do you mean? You're, ne- you're abandoning us. No structure. And up in, in D.C., there is, a, you know, what's the community reaction there? Again, a, maybe a little bit of sense of abandonment, but in both cases, maybe this thread of we've got to come up with something better than walls. I think so. And you know, yeah, maybe in yeah. both cases, the community, somebody in those communities is saying, look, we, we just can't armor the hell out of it. Looks, first of all, it looks like hell. Well, and I mean, not that that's a big factor. Well, and the keys are so, there's just so little space to work with. I mean, it's not, yeah. uh, it's the vulnerability is just immense, <laughs> but I, I just want, I have a final thought and that is that, uh, as, they do go about the process of going, you know, talking about land use planning and buyouts and so on and so forth. The federal government will be, and the state of Florida and uh, Monroe. Monroe County, yeah, will be putting public money into the. I'm going to use air quotes here, but the mm-hmm. the resiliency, yeah, uh, capacity building of the keys. That we can be sure. Yeah, yeah. Money um, will be but spent. But it, it's just, it, it won't be spent in the normal, or it seems at this point, in the normal uh, business yeah. of building hardened, armored structures. It's going to be a different type of, of investment. And, you know, I, for one, am really looking forward to it. We have talked yeah. quite a bit on this program Let's about see how it happens. We need to be better uh, as, as, coastal citizens we need to be better at retreat um at buying out at land at land use planning especially in areas that are already developed and already have right um existing laws regulations private property we've talked about the issues of private property rights and and um you know not that we're against them (laughs) (laughs) but but that <clears throat> They're a real part, it's, real part of the discussion. It's a powerful, part of the discussion. Very powerful part of the discussion. And so, I, the, what's happening in the keys to me really represents a, a change and something that we will be keeping yeah. our eyes on. And I should also note 
for our listeners that on all three of these case studies, we will be doing follow-up uh, programs. I hope so. We, and uh, yeah. we don't exactly have our guests lined up entirely yet, but you can rest assured that we will be following what's going on in all three of these areas because we think it's... This stuff is interesting and has uh, just as like a trend data point. Yeah. If you're trying to understand the big picture, are we where things are going. Yeah, we're taking a turn here. And, you know, there's Rob Young out there, and we've been in contact with Rob, Dr. Rob Young from the uh, Center for Developed Shorelines at Western Carolina University. He's been on a few times. Rob feels strongly about these issues. I really want to talk to him about it, uh, and I'm hoping we'll put that show together soon. Um and then we're hoping to reach out to some of the kids who went and testified to the California Coastal Commission and some of those advocates who stood up and advocated. Or certainly the Surfrider Foundation, who yeah, Surfrider is maybe. kind of the grassroots yeah. organizing uh, advocacy group there. Um, Hopefully, I, I hope, I, because I really want to know more about that discussion. We sh- we're going to be asking these people these questions that, yeah. we're, we're ha- that we're asking on this show. I mean, yeah. Boy, it definitely seems, though, like this we're seeing a, a change in heading that this is my read. Could be. On it. Well, it, it's hard to extrapolate. Is this a turning point? I sort of feel like it's un, it's definitely notable what's happened here. These are major decisions by major coastal management organizations uh, on the American shoreline. The California Coastal Commission is not a, is a big deal. And the Army Corps of Engineers is a big deal. The counterweight to that, and I think what Rob Young is somewhat frustrated, and Rob, we just got to schedule it. You just got to come back, um, is that uh, there's billions of dollars going into shoreline management and shore protection projects. Like in North Carolina, he's not particularly happy about the $280 million that's being pumped onto uh, Topsail Island, thinking that that should be a more of a retreat, more of a Florida Keys discussion. Right. So there are some things, but again, that's not armoring either. That is a what we would consider a soft a soft solution, beach nourishment. Uh, so th- we're not done investing but, in shore protection at all, by any means. No. My God, no. It's a question of, are we going to build walls or not? And the commissioners in, out in the California case told staff and uh, uh, the county of the Orange Orange County people yeah. that were there doing the presentation that they wanted to see new solutions. They don't they didn't say at all yeah, what, what those is. were. But <laughs> I'm guessing and I'm, I'm sure some of them are listening to this show. Uh, go check out the let's track this Key West study. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think that yeah. I think that we're I personally do believe and and I don't. I don't want to say. Are we at a turning point? Are we turning? Are we halfway through a turn? Well, we're constantly evolving in our relationship with the shoreline. It's, yeah. it's a constantly evolving thing. We will never run out of things to no. talk about on this program, ladies no. and gentlemen. No, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's but true. The this to me is a significant one. It's surprising. I did not anticipate the New York project being shelved or you know the study being shelved it will something will happen it will be restarted but to see this i expected this to be ramrodded home right because it's new york and that's normally what happens um and the level of risk and the fact that they're you know in both cases here the california example we have the death of people by bluff collapse i kind of think if i'm remembering right that it was a uh, bachelorette weekend kind of thing too uh 
but you've got loss of life there and you've got her superstorm sandy and the 78 billion dollars in actual damages and 346,000 structures either destroyed or seriously damaged and yet usually when you've got that kind of crisis the momentum as you say is just like damn we're going bigger it's a it's an arms race we're going bigger more concrete more boulders more we're good we're doubling down and in the face of both of these what i would consider to be significant incidents uh in their own way uh they they, they turned away from structures um and, you know, I, I, the California Coastal Commission has asked the great grand question of coastal uh, design and coastal management, which is come up with something better, but had no suggestion. I know Tyler listened to the hour-long discussion on the Coastal Co- uh, Commission's uh, website, and you can too, by the way. But they actually didn't. What is that? What's the alternative? I mean, we get into those offshore breakwaters. We there, get into oyster reefs. We get into beach nourishment. I mean, or you get into leaving. I just don't think there's that. Have we not turned over all the stones? Is there anything I, else? I don't know. Magic? What, I don't. I don't know. Um, if you ask my dad, he would say vetiver grass. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good story. You should tell. It'd be vetiver grass in Hawaii on the that's island right. of Oahu. No, on our Memorial Day special, uh, part two, I believe he yeah, he talks year. about it. But you know, the I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think new practices, um, pr- possibly new engineering techniques that are just that don't require building out. Maybe you can build into the wall or something into the bluff, into the bluff. Or, exactly right um in the case of new york and uh the yeah. keys i i honestly i i don't know what the answer is it's hard for me to imagine new york city not having a strong yeah, yeah. armament around yeah. manhattan and the boroughs it just come on yeah that what are, are we let's yeah. be serious here yeah yeah um, and same thing with the Houston for the next hundred years or whatever it is, however long it takes us to, uh, as long as this continues to be the energy coast and then who knows what it becomes after that. But yeah, the amount of money, it, big industrial petrochemical money that is globally being invested and shipped around the world yeah, the products, uh, is yeah. Yeah. One, the federal government would say necessitates this kind of investment it is and these kinds saying. of solutions. Right. And and you know, I attended the uh, Galveston District Partner and Stakeholders meeting a few weeks ago uh, where the core staff for a couple of days is laying out all of their projects. We heard from Colonel Tim Vale that, uh, who spoke uh, at length during this couple of days event about exactly what you said, the necessity of protecting the shorelines and the infrastructure because of its energy and security and national interest, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> yada, 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 just right. a lot of detail, but you get the point. Right. It's worth a lot and we can't, we can't leave. The, I had this working theory that we were going to see the core and federal spending gravitate toward urban areas for this very reason and the abandonment of places like Key West. That didn't surprise me. What surprised me was it didn't hold up in New York City where there's been 78 billion in losses, as I've said, and and that we're not leaving Manhattan. I mean, retreat is is an option in the keys. Take your single family house and we're going to raise it up or we're going to take it down. And sorry, it's terrible, but 
but we're not taking down, you know, the new trades of, you know, the the Freedom Tower, which is in Lower Manhattan. We just right. built it. So no. it, it really is an interesting policy sequence here, these three decisions. And I'm really glad we sort of came across these and sort of stitched it together. Um, yeah. And we hope you guys enjoyed it. Look, the the <laughs> one of the things that we think is important in studying uh, the American shoreline and bringing these perspectives to you is that there's stuff happening all over uh, the world, in fact, but certainly all over the American shoreline that we can learn from and that is interesting yeah. and that yeah. you should be aware of. It really, if if you care about oceans and coasts, you've really got to pay attention to what's going on. Things are changing. Yeah, look at the big picture, not just your own silo. That's right. That's our theory. That's our theory. And what's what's cool is because we, we have the uh, privilege of looking at all of this coastal news and kind of seeing what's going on, sometimes trends little like little constellations, they pop out at yeah. us. Yeah, and yeah. this was a little constellation, a little three-star yeah. situation right? Uh, that uh, shows us that maybe there is a new, maybe we're sniffing kind of a new perspective of how we're going to be looking at solving these problems. Yeah, well, it wouldn't, I mean, obviously we need to evolve. We do. Well, Peter, I think, you know, this is a heavy conversation. I think I think we got to conclude this with our, <laughs> our little extra segment, a little uh, dessert. Yeah, let's add, let's go to the lighter side. Yeah. Not all. You know, I was talking to Tyler earlier today when we were getting ready to do this show. My wife just uh, jetted off to Washington, D.C. for her job. She's going to be there for a week. She's a proud cat owner. Hello, Genevieve. Um, I'm going to miss you this week. But she told me when she left, she said, do you mind, uh, you know, doing some videos of the cats and sending those to me while I'm in D.C.? <laughs> and so I was like, sure. Yeah. OK, I'll take some videos of your cats. And, you know, and Peter and, has done a very good job. And I've done my first two. And I was telling Tyler about this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love my wife. So, of course, yes, here's some cat videos. But uh, that there is a whole history of cats and in, in that I was not really aware of when it comes to the maritime trades. That's right. So uh, I thought I'm going to do a really slapdash job here at explaining this. But um, I was uh, I listened to a whole lecture on YouTube about ships cats. Um, really? And uh, yes, I did. And I, I'm going to just quickly breeze through this. Maybe, no idea. Really? No, there's a whole video about ship cats? Uh, there's a, uh, yes. Uh, in All fact, right. there is. There's everything on the internet, Peter. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> That's the, <true. laughs> the, the domestic cat comes uh, from northern Africa, the Egypt area. It goes okay. back to the ancient Egyptians. Carved into many stones. That's right. In, in the, yes, ancient yes. Egypt. That's right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the little figurines and stuff, you'd, yeah. you'll see see the the cat silhouette all over yeah but um what's interesting is that the egyptians uh were quite uh seafaring people um they were indeed. and uh, there in the mediterranean sea there was quite a bit of early trade occurring and it didn't take long for early mariners we're talking about some of the first folks to go out of sight of land you know okay that they realized that having uh, cats around was just really good for the ship because ships were made in those days out of all sorts of reeds and uh, like literally tied together with reeds and wood 
And of course, you were transporting grain and fruits and things that just rats and mice love. The whole thing was a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. It was, was like a, was nesting a material. Floating rat, uh, you know, buffet. Like buffet. The whole damn thing was right. edible. So they realized that these cats fit, helped preserve their boats. Uh, which was a big deal because uh, you wouldn't want your vessel to be eaten. You know, there's there's an old expression about vessels. A rat ship ah. uh, is a vessel that has been eaten by rats. Wow. Uh, wooden ships would be chewed. You know, rats, you can hear them in your house sometimes. They just yeah. chew on stuff. Okay, right and on. if you're on a boat, yeah, it's it. disconcerting to hear that rat <laughs> chewing on your boat when you're out in the middle of the Especially ocean. Especially below the waterline. You're like, hold on. <laughs> Don't we have a cat on board? Hello, do we have yeah. a cat? Do we? So, so, so there's a there's an early tradition. It goes way back of having a ship on or a, a cat on ships. But what you might not know is yeah. that this old uh, ancient tradition um, turned into uh, a, a a more modern tradition. Survived and to modern day. It did, and and um, again, I'm I'm gonna ju- I'm just. Yeah, like running through this, but there are some legendary uh, ships cats. Um, and okay, they, they have, before you do the list, because sure. I, first of all, I was not aware that this was such a big deal and that it continued well into the 20th century and maybe today still. Um, but you're telling me that these things have actually become known, like particular examples of ship cats, that it's just not that, that cats are on the boat, but that... That they they have become memorialized in some way. Well, so you know, I I, I started this off by talking about the ancient uh, yeah. tradition here, and this, by the way, is how cats made it around the world. Uh, oh, yeah. We moved them around on boats. Um, so basically, these cats become uh, good luck charms. Uh, they're in the age of sail. They were, of course, hugely necessary as uh, with sails on board and wood and all this stuff you still had the problem with rats and uh critters like that causing damage to the ship but once we moved into steel hulled vessels and particularly military vessels the cats became little mascots and have names and they were uh celebrated by the crew And they have stories, and I just suggest you go onto the Wikipedia page for ships, cats, and check it out. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll regale a couple quick stories. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. So the first one that you'll see is uh, uh, there's a notable example section. Okay. Blackie. Blackie was a uh, a cat. Uh, there's a photograph with Blackie and Winston Churchill. Uh-huh. Uh Blackie was the uh, HMS Prince of Wales ship's cat. Wow. And, um, a very famous World War II. He, uh, was it a battleship? No, it was a light cruiser. Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Well, I, I, the only reason I think I might remember that is the sinking of the Bismarck. The HMS Prince of Wales was a was one of the vessels involved in the in the sinking of the greatest German battleship of World War II. She the Bismarck. was the, the Prince of Wales was a, a King George class battleship. Oh, it was a battleship. Yes, it was. Okay, and um, Blackie. Uh, survived the sinking of the Prince of Wales. The Prince of Wales was uh, sunk by the Japanese uh, uh, Air Force, Naval Air Force. Wow. 
and she survived the sinking. She was wow. she was taken ashore. She had to, a little life jacket. <laughs> she was taken ashore, <laughs> ashore to Singapore. Okay, and uh, lived but, a life of leisure. And what? she and then she couldn't be found. So here was uh, a cat that made it all the way to she went, Singapore. Uh, what's that called when sailors uh, a wall <laughs> when they leave shore leave? <laughs> yeah, they they take off and they don't come back. That's you true. Know. <laughs> so she she found out you know life was pretty nice in Singapore, and I don't you know Blackie. Uh, iconic so, uh, did not reenlist uh i'm i'm gonna skip through here okay. uh there's several that the names are just fantastic um camouflage is a cat's name that was on a u.s coast guard uh cutter uh in the pacific theater in world war ii chibley uh chibley. was was a kitty on gotta the be british tall ship Ooh. uh the bark mm. picton castle wow um, and she was rescued from an animal shelter and then circumnavigated the world five times. So she was no she was rescued, brought onto kidding. the ship to be the ship's cat. The Magellan of cats. She went around the world a wow. whole bunch. Wow. A, sh- a cat named Convoy. Uh, That's good. A, an English cat uh, on the HMS Hermione. Uh, and Convoy <laughs> was so named because of the number of times he accompanied the ship on convoy escort well, duties. He good. was a... That makes sense. Uh, uh, let's see. He was killed. Unfortunately, the ship went down and he was unable to get off. A huh. German U-boat took him down. Oh, wow. Uh, but there's a beautiful little picture of him in a uh, hammock, you know, like a like the sailor's hammock. Really? But they made a, a little, little one for one. the cat. Yeah. Do they get medals? I mean, do they get recognized? They do. There, There is a serious uh, uh, recognition. Given really? these are these are legendary okay. cats. I, I don't know what else to tell you, Pete. Well, um, no, if you have a Wikipedia page, I think you got a medal. I th- and they have <laughs> they've got there. little uniforms. Do they? Um, really? <laughs> they do. Uh, they dress them up. Um, this this cat. Uh, I think we got to me- okay, mention keep going, Tittles. Keep going. Tittles. Tittles uh, was the ship cat on board the Royal Navy aircraft. Uh, excuse me, on a number of wow. Royal Navy aircraft carriers. Quite quite a career. Okay, let me hear. Uh, and uh, he was aboard the HMS Argus and later joined the HMS Victorious. Um, and he was often seen at his favorite station on the aft capstan ah. and there's a beautiful photograph of him and the capstan was right there and right above it is the ship's bell which has this wow. rope and the cat of course would play ah. with the bell twine well, you know god the morale boost alone the, yeah when you're at sea yeah it's huge stuff now today the royal navy has banned cats so really? unfortunately oh. i it doesn't look as though uh, the ship's cat tradition lives Gen- on I'm at least not Genevieve. officially i'm going to get genevieve to start a movement to reintroduce i mean that just seems cruel like, why can't they serve? Everybody else gets to serve in the military. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know Peter, to be about, honest I'm with you. I'm talking about open. <laughs> uh, you know what? I've got, I've got to do one more. There's, All right. No, there's there's the final. The I final, just think there's uh, a movement that could be done. And the, what's also interesting right. is these, uh, these, these kitties are oftentimes renamed uh, at huh. various points. But Unsinkable Sam, uh, who has his own page by the way these really? these cats have their own page wow uh, years active 1941 to 1946 unsinkable sam wow uh and unsinkable sam was uh he was a ship cat on the german battleship bismarck oh the bismarck which yes and when she was sunk in uh 1941 yep. uh just on the first cruise out of the baltic sea 
Mm-hmm. You know, they they tracked it. It's a good, it's a great story, naval story. That's right. Now about the Bismarck. Now, Unsinkable Sam, when she was uh, a German cat, okay, was named Oscar. Okay, well that's uh, good. But German see, name. she got blown up in the Bismarck thing and okay. got picked up by really? the HMS HMS uh, Crosac. Okay, and uh, got adopted and wow. became and became the the good luck charm wow. ship's cat. Of that ship, so you see, they kind of swap sides. They swap sides. War, and I, I have to believe it must have been just an awesome show of good luck, and yeah. you know, to to pick up the cat sure. and then have. They didn't drown it, <laughs> you know. Thank God. Thank God. Because you know the it, uh, wartime is hard, but uh, yeah. anyway, well, I, the, they would have come up with the you know the, the PETA guys would have written a letter to that. They would have not been happy. <laughs> They, anyway, well, Oscar became renamed what? Unsinkable Sam. Oh, Unsinkable Sam. Okay. So I wanted to share this little uh, piece of maritime okay. history and fact. Maybe. All right. Uh, this is, you know, we want we like to have a little fun on the show. Peter. Absolutely, entertainment, as you've said from the very beginning, is an important part of being in the podcast business. It can't be too dull. So. It can't I all hope, be feasibility stuff. I hope you all listen to the end because this is the kind of dessert right. you can That's look right. forward to. That's right. So what do you got on the last tidbit? What do you got? Is there one more tidbit? No, that's my. That's all I got for oh, this that's, show. Oh, that's okay. We're well. I do think you know. Okay, that's what I, I'll do. One more cat. One, one more, more come cat. On, come just on, because. Come on, just because I could go. There's a whole bunch of them. All right, pick a good. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk about the cat on the Titanic. Oh, yeah. And uh, you caught me off guard, but um, so I don't have the story in front of me, but paraphrasing uh, without notes, uh, the Titanic had a cat on it, uh, and during sea trials, the cat was at, but they took the cat off for the maiden voyage. Apparently, the White Star Line didn't think it suitable to have really a cat on board. Ah. And so the cat... He was set ashore. She was transferred to the sister ship, ah. which I believe, I forget the name of that ship, uh, so I'm not even going to try to say it, and uh, was transferred and therefore, of course, lived on to have wow. a career on board. But uh, there you have it. The ship's well, cats were a real uh, standard thing aboard vessels for a you long know, time. When you hear this in any kind of, if there's an airplane crash or some disaster, there's always the interview with the person who says, you know, I had the ticket and I was late. I got I got stuck in traffic and it saved my life. I mean, there's, there's always that story. It's very common. And I think if this cat were still alive, that's the, what the cat thought. But because the cat would be, I could have been down with the, the you know. It is one of those stories. It's one of those. It, it is. The, the endlessly fascinating Saved by of, serendipity. Yeah. Saved, absolutely. Luck of the draw, as that's I think right. they call it. So, well, that's the fascinating world of coastal America. There's always something interesting. Never a dull moment, you know, at all. Never a dull moment. Many, many subjects. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Great to have you on the podcast today. Hope you enjoyed the, the the discussion on the feasibility studies, which I think is actually we're onto a trend here. There's something happening here that I think we picked up that's really interesting. And uh, anyway, we'll catch you next show. The beaches are sad to